0: Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show comes from the Spirituality and Health Annual Holiday Gift Guide, a special section in the November-December 2016 issue, featuring inspiring and unique products. Reach our conscious community and reserve your advertising space today. Email Tabitha at spiritualityhealth.com or call 231-933-5660 extension 305.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today, Catherine Osmond, is an award-winning journalist and author. whose new book, Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age, is reviewed in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Catherine's worked in publishing for more than 25 years. She was senior editor at National Geographic, and her essays and articles appear in many newspaper, newspapers and magazines, including National Geographic, The New York Times, Boston, Salon, and Fitness. We are very happy to have you on the show, Catherine.
2: Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: It will be fun. We're going to be talking about your new book and start with the title, Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age. So you're going to have to tell me what you mean by God and grace, but let's start out with the notion of secular, because I know you call yourself a secular mom. So what is that?
2: Yeah, so you know, I was I was raised religiously. I was raised Presbyterian, um, and my husband was raised Jewish, and we got married. and I think we thought we would raise our kids in some sort of blend of traditions. And what ended up happening was we sort of canceled each other out, <laughs> and uh, we ended up not finding a religious community to join. We didn't go through any religious rituals with any of our children when they were born. And at some point, we looked at each other and we thought, wow, we have just kind of walked away from the religion that we were raised with. What happened here? And uh, the more I started to talk to people, I found that this was really common. It was happening in a lot of homes, a lot of families. And it was really um, that we were living a life without really any participation in uh, religious groups, without religious beliefs forming any kind of our identity or worldview. And so when I say secular, um, that's really what I mean, is that religion no longer formed um, a, a part of my life.
1: Sometimes secular is code word for atheist. Is that also what you're saying?
2: You know, I see secular more as an umbrella term. I mean, I, you know, I think in strict, the strict definition is that it's about the separation of, of church and state. And, you know, we talk about secular secular. Um, sort of secular laws. And we live in a secular uh, society in which, you know, everyone's faith is protected under the law. Um, but I see it as an umbrella term for a lot of different people that, that these days are trying to figure out what label fits them. And yes, they may be atheists, agnostics. They may even be spiritual, but not religious. But they they see themselves as very living a very secular life. Um, secular humanism is something I came to and explored in detail in the book. Uh, so I think all of these things can fall under that term.
1: So, as a secular humanist, though God doesn't really play a role in your life.
2: That's right. Um, it's really more about relationships with people here on Earth. It's about uh, you know secular humanism values science and reason and. Um, I personally am an agnostic. So I don't I don't know if there is a God, but I leave that to some other time (laughs) to be figured out. I focus really on what I can know in this lifetime. And I think a lot of secular humanists feel that way as well. They focus their energy on this life and not thinking about an afterlife or any kind of um, godlike power.
1: So, you know, I was surprised because I I figured that's where you're coming from. And Mm -hmm. I was surprised to find on the cover of the book images from 20 different religions. Yeah. So I'm wondering, do you pick and choose from different faiths or really you're not interested in any of that and you just focus on, on, like you said, on what you can know?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting because my husband and I do we do use some of our background um, faiths in raising our kids. So we will do Jewish holidays and Christian holidays, you know, albeit in a in a pretty um, secular way. Um, but we do try to keep some of that alive for them. Um, and I think that's pretty common. I in some of my research, I found that more and more people as they leave organized religion are piecing together their own almost curated religion for themselves that suits them. (laughs) This Mm. is both wonderfully liberating and also kind of a problem for society, right? Because how do we come together if we each have our own religion? Um, But I think the idea is that people are really um, freer now more than ever to sort of find meaning however they can find it. And so if someone wants to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, that's becoming a more common uh, phenomenon as people leave these traditional institutions.
1: So let's answer your own question and I'm pretty sure you have an answer. How do people come together? How do you form community if there isn't a set of common beliefs?
2: Well, there's been a long you know, history of groups like ethical culture and secular humanists have been around for a while. Uh, Unitarian Church is a good option for people who don't want such um, traditional religious organizations. Um, but what I found while I was doing research is that there's a growing number of offerings for people. There's a, a much wider array now, and they're welcoming to families and people with children. Um, everything from, you know, you find an increasing number of secular humanist groups on college campuses now, and, and many in big cities, often affiliated with the university. I found Uh, People who do storytelling groups where they get everyone together to share stories and they cultivate compassion uh, through being vulnerable on stage and and telling a, a story that was meaningful to them. Um, there's the Sunday Assembly, which is uh, another group organized for people who've left religion, but they still want to come together and they get together on Sundays and they, they do their own version of a church service without God and without uh, um, any sacred text. And it's, um, I think these groups are really filling a profound need that many people have to come together.
1: So, this, And this is certainly working for you.
2: Well, I've pieced it together here and there, and yeah, I think it has worked for me. I mean, it's it was difficult for my husband and I to find a religious organization that we would both sort of feel connected to, and so in order to find something that worked for both of us, we sort of had to remove that. It's almost like you have to reinvent the wheel um, to to suit, you know, what we were interested in and what we were doing. Now, while I was writing the book, I participated um many times in uh, the Harvard humanist community in Cambridge, where I was living. And we moved away from there. We now live in Chicago. And so I have not found that community here. But I live in this neighborhood that has really tight communal bonds and a strong sense of its own values. And so in some ways, I've found it in in our new city, in my neighborhood, and in participating in neighborhood organizations and getting out to do charity work locally. So I think it just depends really on, on what you're comfortable with and what you're looking for. Many secular people don't, you know, part of being secular often is that you don't like to join things. So they probably wouldn't be interested in some of these groups.
1: Mm. So, you know, one of the things that, that occurs to me anyway is that uh, people in your situation, and I and I know to some extent I'm in a similar situation, uh, I've given up looking for answers. I'm more interested in a community that shares uh, the questions. Yes. And uh, it's the seeking or the searching or the exploration that seems to pull people together, at least the kind of people that we're talking about, mm-hmm. rather than, oh, here's the answer. I yeah. don't even care what your question is. You know, mm-hmm. the billboard says Jesus is the answer. They never ask you what the question is <laughs> right. because this is the answer. I don't care what your question is. Yeah. So it's, I, I don't want to, I'd like to get your feeling on this, but I think I don't want to give the, our listeners the idea that uh, there is nothing shared here, but it's a search rather than the finding that matters.
2: I really feel that my book asks more questions than it provides answers. Um, And I agree with you. And I think that the key is to make sure we're asking those questions. And that's one thing I miss about a religious, I mean, I don't know, maybe my experience of religion is somewhat different, but um, I found that when I was going to church, there were moments of, quiet and moments of reflection when, you know, I don't know if the minister was asking the questions, but I was prompted to ask myself the questions. And I think when you leave that kind of structure, um, it's really easy to get caught up in the world and caught up in work, caught up in driving your kids to extracurricular activities and forget about the questions. And so I I do find that that has been a huge benefit of these groups that I, I met along the way is that, was so um, wonderful to find other people who were having the same sort of experience, and um, you know, wanting to know what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Uh,
1: yeah, those what? are the perennial questions.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and just to sit around and talk about them, it's actually um, I found. Very comforting. And it's funny because people say, Oh, we don't ever talk about religion and polite company. But as I've written this book, it's all I talk about. And it's a wonderful way to connect with a person because you learn so much when you just say, How were you raised? You know, were you were you raised religiously or tell me about, you know, your spiritual journey that you've been on. And you really get right into a deep conversation off the bat in a way that I think is is hard to do. Otherwise, so I, I still think that's something that religion offers, and I, I was happy to find that these groups are, are probing that as well.
1: And there's a sense that if you're not coming with a an a priori answer, if you don't, this is you mm-hmm. know either it's you know, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, whatever, mm-hmm. Hindu. If you're not coming with an answer already, you're much more open to just listening to what to people's searches, to people's right. uh, query, and. It's. It seems to me that the intimacy that can create a community is found in that openness to in, to inquiry, mm-hmm. rather than no, you got to you got to buy my my answer, otherwise I can't hang out with you.
2: Right. Yeah. I was at a Harvard Humanist Community meeting where the woman introducing the speaker said that that community was the first um, you know values based community. Uh, where she didn't feel like she had to leave a part of her identity at the door. She could bring her whole self in and, and, and ask the questions. And nobody was going to you know look at her strangely or yeah. shun her. Yeah. Well,
1: sometimes when you go to a church or synagogue or mosque or wherever you happen to be <laughs> going, it's almost like you have to pretend you have to put aside the fact that it's the 21st century mm-hmm. and pretend it's, I don't know, the 10th century or the 12th century or maybe yeah. the first century. We know too much to, to let that happen to us. It's not, I don't know, it's it's not even the willing suspension of disbelief. It's just play acting for many people.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: Right, right. And, and you know what I found along the way was people didn't necessarily want to, the, the people I was really interested in are people like me they weren't raised atheists. They were raised with religion and they have some nostalgia for it. They have some sense of, of what it gave them and their family and their ancestors. And so they weren't necessarily wanting to toss it overboard, but they wanted to try to reimagine it. And so, you know, people who are doing new forms of rituals um, when their babies are born or when a child is at their coming of age um, ceremony time. And so they were keeping those those great um, things that religions produce, but they were reimagining it for the modern day. And I, I thought that was really interesting.
1: Well, you said uh, really about 10 minutes ago or so, you said that you haven't given up on Christmas. You've just reimagined it. I mean, the snarky line is you've taken the Christ out of Christmas. I suppose. Yes. So, yeah. so what does what your Christmas look like?
2: Well, I will say, you know, every Christmas is a little bit different, but our best, most meaningful Christmas was uh, two years ago. We were we borrowed a friend's house in Vermont and we just needed to get away again. It was this feeling of needing to um, just slow down and we didn't have a Christmas tree. We didn't have presents because we were visiting from out of town and the kids went outside and they got a pine branch off the ground and we put it in a vase and they made um, ornaments out of paper and colored them and hung them. We went into the little town and bought really simple gifts and wrapped them. And I would say that was the most meaningful Christmas I probably have had because it was so simple. It was really about our relationships with each other, our time as a family, and and it, it was it was really very special. In a similar way, we will often do a Seder with friends Um, here in Chicago. We have some family and some friends and we don't read every word and we don't do every single part of the ceremony. But we have this amazing feeling of connection um, and I our kids seem to crave it. I find that they they look forward to these moments and they really, it, we don't even really talk about God, but it's a little bit of history that they're really interested in. And so in those ways, we're sort of bringing it in as history and as a mechanism for bringing us close to each other.
1: So is do you see that as the future of human religiosity? I mean, there's religion, there's, you know, like you raised Presbyterian, your husband was Jewish. Mm-hmm. There's religion, which is disappearing, from the as the way we norm, you know as, as my parents would live it, you know they're in their 80s. Uh, that religion is disappearing amongst a ever growing segment of the American population. Uh, what do you see as next? Is do you think you're sort of a, on the cutting edge of what's next?
2: You know, I think people are looking for the things that religion once gave them without the religion. So if you could just peel that overlay off and and to still have all those things, I I, I think that people will find ways to get those things. There's a reason religion evolved. It's it's very effective at meeting human need. Um, and if we're no longer wanna affiliate with institutions because say we don't trust institutions or that's just the way we feel in the modern day, then we're gonna have to figure out other ways to get at that. We have to find ways to form community. We have to find ways to motivate ourselves to volunteer and give to charity. Um, and so I think we're going to need leaders (laughs) who bring us into that. Um, and I, I, you know, the trends do show that people are cobbling together, um, sort of make your own religions. They are taking a little bit of Buddhism here and a little bit of maybe Judaism here. Maybe they wear a Catholic cross because they grew up with that. And it's showing, you know, Pew shows this, that more and more people are, are doing that kind of, um, curated, um, spiritual practice, which is wonderful. And then the question is, how do you then bring people together to make positive change in the world if we're all on our own yoga mats? Right,
1: right. So I've I two questions left, and we only have a couple of minutes. But mm-hmm. so you've, you've talked about the communal aspect of it, bringing people closer together, doing charity work, that kind of thing. Religion is also about creating meaning, Mm -hmm. So how do you help your kids? You have three kids. How how old are they? Mm -hmm.
2: They are six, 10, and 13.
1: So given that range, Mm -hmm. how do you help them explore this notion of Mm -hmm. meaning? Is life meaningful or what is the meaning of life?
2: Yeah, um, our son has asked me that. He's the oldest. And he's asked me that on many occasions. And before I wrote this book, I didn't know how to answer. In fact, I think part of why I wrote this book was so I could answer some of their questions. Um, And I tell them, Meaning in life is all about our relationships to other people and to our community. And so, um, you know, recently I had signed my son up for a fundraising basketball tournament and the night before he found out about a better opportunity. It was with his travel basketball team and they were going to go play in this big thing and he really wanted to do it. And I said, you know, sometimes you have to choose the bigger thing, which isn't the bigger thing in your mind, but it's going to make you feel better in the end. And sure enough, at the end of that game, which he ended up going to the fundraiser, he won a basketball. And as we were leaving, he said, you know, I want to donate my basketball. I want to give it to, to the neighborhood club because the kids there need it more than I do. And if I can just keep doing that with my husband's help, you know, we're both really focused on this. I think that's that was a more meaningful day for him. And I think he he maybe can't quite articulate that yet. But if we can keep showing him that that's where you feel a sense of purpose at the end of the day, as opposed to just having a pleasurable activity or a, a competition of some kind, um, then I, I think that I'll hopefully be doing my job.
1: Well, you know, my last question was, what advice can you give parents who are listening to the show? But I think you just did that.
2: Okay. So.
1: <laughs> Oh, that, that was a great way to, to bring this to an end. Good. My guest today was Catherine Osmond. She's author of "Grace Without God: The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age." A review of the book appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Catherine, thanks so much for being with us on Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: This was great. Support for this podcast comes from Spirituality and Health's Annual Holiday Gift Guide, a special section in the November-December 2016 issue of both the print magazine and the website. The gift guide features inspiring, unique products, not only for the holidays, but for any gift-giving occasion. To reach out to our readers and listeners with your product, reserve your advertising space by emailing Tabitha at spiritualityhealth.com or call us at 231-933-5660 and it's extension 305. The number again is 231-933-5660 extension 305. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami, thanks for listening.